Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin podcast. My name is Matt Bruski and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. Our panel this week is like Jorna Taylor. She's taking a vacation up in Door County. I'm sure uh, she's probably taken George and is uh, uh, lavishing uh, luxuries upon George, but she'll be back next week. As always, we have Jennifer Epps Addison from Wisconsin Jobs Now. Jennifer. Hello. It's great to have you back. It's been Yay, a lot of traveling person. this summer. So. I know. It's so, I'm so glad to be back in Milwaukee when it's warm and sunny and bright. Well, welcome back. It's good to have you back in the office. And as always, Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Morning, everyone. So we have two main, we have, a, we have a number of topics that we want to talk about, but we are going to get started today with a guest. A lot of folks have heard about uh, a new organization that started here in Wisconsin, and that's called Wisconsin Working Families. It's a part of the National Working Families Party, and we are here at Citizen Action happy to announce. As of uh, about a week ago, Citizen Action is now an official member of the Working Families Party, and so today... We asked to have the new executive director, Marina Dmitrievich, join us and talk a little bit about this uh, new organization and how it's going to work. And thanks for, for joining us, Marina. Happy to be here. For folks who don't know, Marina is a former, uh, well, excuse me, not former, excuse me, is <laughs> still uh, the uh, county board uh, member here in Milwaukee, is the former chair, right, okay. has now stepped down as chair and uh, taken on this huge responsibility to build a working families organization here in Wisconsin. So uh, tell us a little bit about, one, why you made the move, mm -hmm. and, and tell our listeners a little bit about what the working families is here in Wisconsin. Sure. So we um, are a little bit new here to Wisconsin, although the conversation between community and labor groups has started a while back. Um, the Working Families Party exists currently in about eight states, including Washington, D.C., and it's growing. And what, it, what we do is we're an independent political organization. And uh, we believe that our economy is broken and that the American dream is not within reach of our working class and middle class families here across the country, especially in the state of Wisconsin. So we want a democracy where every voice matters. We feel that the current system uh, isn't electing champions to stand up for working families who need it the most. Um, that's why we have an independent political group, like I mentioned. So while we don't currently have ballot access, it's something we will seek. Um, we believe that we can create a brand. We can train, recruit candidates on an ideology and a slate with an agenda that will actually deliver results for working families. It's a people-powered organization that'll work 365 days a year, so not just around elections. Um, so we're really excited to be here in Wisconsin. Let me just ask you one quick <coughs> clarification. When, when you talk about ballot access, right, right. Uh, obviously you could have it now if you were a third party and therefore you were essentially cutting the progressive vote against a Democrat. You're talking about seeking fusion where people could be a candidate who's both a Democrat, theoretically, and a Working Families Party candidate. Maybe in the future when we succeed, Republicans will be progressives too, but at this point they're all the Democratic Party. Right. So the fusion voting is what's used in a couple of our other affiliate states. Um, it's used quite well in Oregon and most notable um, in New York. 
Um, many people remember, of course, Mayor Bill de Blasio, who ran basically as a working families party Democrat. And in fact, we have our first um, candidate, a congresswoman, Valerie Irvin, running in Maryland as a working families party Democrat. So again, we are a brand, a separate party. Um, I, I always uh, am challenged to use this uh, analogy, but it does ring for some people, the Tea Party of the left. And what I mean by that is that we, when you go into the ballot box, hopefully once we're able to build this infrastructure, you'll know what you're getting when you vote Working Families Party. Too often, and especially in Milwaukee, we've elected people that after the elections were wondering, what in the world did we do? This is not what I signed up for. And so what this <laughs> deals with is, is that most progressives are Democrats, but not all Democrats are progressives. That is certainly accurate. Yeah, and we then that's just not fair. It's not working for us here in Wisconsin, especially. Mm -hmm. What I feel like when I when I get excited about what you've laid out, when you look at the Democratic base, their values align with what the Working Families Party stands for. They when you look at the people who are going out and knocking doors and volunteering and signing up as actual members rather than just Democratic voters and you know running the local committees and the local chapters. Those folks are people who want to see $15 an hour minimum wage. Those folks are people who want us to address access to child care, who want us to support public education, and who are going to do anything to fight for it at every level. And I think what's, you know, what the Working Families Party does is let's start at the ground. Let's start at the most local level we can. Let's build our infrastructure and our power there. And then that will translate into greater and greater victories at the state. So that, that's exciting to me. I know that there's a lot of worry out there. Um, about what might happen or about dividing Democrats. But I think we need to align Democrats on a vision, a bold vision for this state. Because um, when we travel outside of Milwaukee, we hear all the time from people who say Democrats don't have a vision. And we need to make sure that that vision is centered on working families. If I can add to the, the question, I get a lot about divisiveness. I mean, we're all sensitive because we've been through a really terrible time here in Wisconsin, and, and we don't want to lose even a single vote. I actually think it's the exact opposite. I think we're going to bring people to the table that have either been actually disenfranchised or are disenchanted. Um, they haven't seen that candidate that inspires them, that's fighting for the values that they need to raise the standards of their family. And when we can deliver these champions locally, we believe this spring, and hopefully the Common Council and the County Board in Milwaukee, I think new people are going to want to come vote, perhaps even for the very first time. So we feel that we're actually going to strengthen the Democratic Party and movement. So let's talk about these these candidates for a second. I would love to get a sense from you, because all of the listeners out there obviously are going to be thinking about who are these folks, who are we looking for? So what is the Working Families Party candidate? What do they you know, feel like? What do they do? How are they different? So we're talking to a number of people, and I think very soon we'll go public uh, with our actual slate. There'll be a couple people for the county board and a couple of people for Common Council. Uh, we're even looking at a possible um, opponent in the Milwaukee County executive race. And again, what you're going to get out of a working families party candidate is someone who is unafraid. You don't have to wonder that when a hard vote comes up where this person uh, is going to vote, they're going to vote on the side of the working families. And that's because we're going to go through an intensive recruitment and vetting process. And this is what I mean when I say we're not just around in elections. 
um, our candidates are going to be checking back with us, and they're making a commitment to us in this process that when they are elected, they're going to introduce the legislation that we spoke of. For example, paid paternity leave, paid sick leave, uh, raising wages. It, it just it continues 365 days a year. So you're going to know what you're getting, and hopefully your family will feel the effect of these candidates delivering results. And uh, one of the things about this model is not only is it going to work to recruit progressive candidates, it's going to stay with them after the election, which is not what happens traditionally. I can tell you that there are candidates that have been elected by progressives, and then when they joined you know, a city council, county board, state legislature, kind of went native mm-hmm. and were kind of taken over by the lobby corps. Right. And so I know in New York there have been situations where you know some politicians are going to say one thing and do another, where working family party endorsed candidates have not uh, exactly been progressive and that there's been accountability programs. So they have not been able just to neatly move over and do whatever they wanted and abandon what they were elected on. Mm -hmm. That's right. And that's why this beginning time is so important is to build that political power and infrastructure that holds people accountable. Um, In Milwaukee, you know, in an area that has seen some severe economic challenges, we can't have people elected citywide or countywide that aren't aren't voting in the best interest of our working families. So we're we're not going to accept that, and we've been quite successful with it in other states. So listening to you, there's two things that spark my interest and a little follow up. So you you mentioned Milwaukee. So is it safe to say then the party is or the organization is at least originally thinking about how it can make a difference in Milwaukee? Is is that correct? And then the other is you mentioned county executive race. That's very interesting. So mm-hmm. tell us a little bit more about kind of wh- how what uh, what you're thinking in terms of it, where it's going to focus its efforts right away. Okay, so this is and, another and then maybe going forward sure. or just kind of what the thoughts are. Yeah, this is another question I've been asked because people are so excited and energized uh, when they heard about the Working Families Party. I'd say at least 50% of the communication I've received has been in the Dane County, Madison area. So Madison obviously is very familiar with independent political organizations like Progressive Dane. Um, Of course, we're going to start here in Milwaukee. You've got to start somewhere. You can't be everywhere at once. Um, But we do have plans to go completely statewide. Um, We think even in some rural areas, whether it be uh, in the Fox Valley or northern um, areas where perhaps the Democratic Party hasn't had the resources to reach those pockets, we're going to go in and tell our story because we know that it resonates. Look, our story is the story of the 99%. And there's a lot of 99% out there, right, mathematically. So if we can talk to people, we know that they'll join our party and be part of our movement. So again, Milwaukee-based to build that farm team, like Jen mentioned, um, and then we'll have our eyes on larger races. I'll tell you this, not, not a lot of people know this, so it's breaking information here, um, is that nationally, as a party, we're looking at how we get involved or if we get involved in the presidential race. Right. Um, and I also would say that um, a candidate like Russ Feingold is uh, someone that we'd really want to get involved with. Obviously, someone um, who we look up to is, is Senator Elizabeth Warren, and they share a lot of great values. Or, or feeling the burn, for example. <laughs> but um, I've been accused of feeling the burn. <laughs> so... And you wouldn't, just to be clear, there's a lot of experience in the state with national organizations kind of lying, landing in areas like flying saucers and then taking on, doing activity, then going away. 
you would be engaging local progressives and uh, in any community that Wickham Valley's party entered, and this would be done in a in a collaborative way. Right. So just like Milwaukee, um, you know, the National Working Families Party didn't just swoop in here; they were invited in. And our local board is full of local affiliates and labor organizations who have deep roots in this community to hold us accountable. Um, and we would do that anywhere we would go. Now, I owe, I owe you an answer on the county executive's race, too. So, um, and so this is Milwaukee County. Right. We have um, 72 counties yeah. that listen to the podcast. Um, I'm going to give Marina full credit there, showing a transition away from politicians, <laughs> even tackling the tough question, yeah. not just answering mm -hmm. the question she wanted to answer. Times no, are I, changing. The, well, look, the reason I ask it is I actually think that that's something very exciting and, and, and speaks to really wanting to try to be serious and make a difference and not just uh, play small ball. So it's it's interesting that I heard you mention that. Yeah, well, let me, I, I just have a little information to share. Um, you know, we, that's a race that we're, we're looking at. Um, as you know, <clears throat> the Working Families Party is unafraid to get involved um, with deeply entrenched elected officials, some who have high amounts of wealth. Just look at Chuy Garcia um, and Rahm Emanuel in Chicago. While Chewy couldn't pull and it off, for Chewy, right? I was clear. really for yeah, Chewy, not and, Rom. right? <laughs> and well, um, you know, they weren't able to pull it off uh, for Chewy. There was a supermajority elected to that Common Council uh, of Progressives, so it's pretty exciting. So I guess what I'll say about the county executive's race is we have somebody um, in that office right now who, once again, voters went in thinking they were getting someone, mm -hmm. even a progressive, and we've seen things that I could never imagine, like the vetoing of the living wage, mm -hmm. um, you know, this transit contract uh, negotiations. For those who are listening statewide, we had a strike uh, that was very um, disappointing to the, the working families here in Milwaukee. And uh, labor practices have been terrible. I mean, the list could go on and on and on. Certainly not um, someone who's dedicated to raising the standards of working families. In fact, he's actually gotten a nickname called Mr. One Percent. Mm -hmm. And so we, we should say that uh, Citizen Action in Wisconsin and Wisconsin Jobs Now, I think we're the first two nonprofits to affiliate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So That's right. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I'll just say full transparency. You know, I sit on the national board for the Working Families Organization. I was one of the folks who have been working over the last year to ground Working Families Party here. I think that folks know I have been no stranger and have not been shy in my criticism of either the Democratic or Republican Party. Oh, come on, you're very shy. <laughs> so... <laughs> I think what we want people to understand is that we believe that this is a movement that be can be powered by our collective action together. That it's not about, we went out and we got the most progressive elected official who has delivered on results for working families, who has passed incredibly challenging pieces of legislation like the living wage ordinance, like ready to work, um, you know, like the Park East Redevelopment Compact, even after the city failed, right, on that. Mm -hmm. So we went out and we found somebody who really lives up to our values and who knows how to, de to deliver. And then you have a deputy director mm -hmm. who gave up a safe seat on the county board in order to challenge institutional power in the city of Milwaukee and take on the second most powerful man in the city um, because he believed he wasn't doing enough for working families and for poor families in our community. So this is, a, this is really a dream team right, that ha is coming to make sure that what we're talking about is real, but it doesn't happen if everybody out there listening doesn't become a founding member, right? right? I'm a founding member. I am a founding member. So you can be an individual, just to be clear, yep. we haven't explained this, you can become an individual member or an, or an organization yep. can join and, as well. And you can do this at different different levels, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I, I think what 
Jen's good point here is people need to get involved in this, mm -hmm. both with their time, but also with some of their resources. We yeah. do have to, as progressives, put our pennies and nickels and dollars and stuff together in order to make a difference. Yep. We can't we can't just sit on the sidelines. And we all love Facebook, and mm -hmm. but th there's more to it. We actually have to build some institutions. There's more that, to it than Facebook? I, I, <laughs> I know, I know. And podcasts. And podcasts. I don't believe that. Um, no, anyways, uh, and, and really think about how we're, exactly. we're going to build organizational power here that um, isn't owned by any one organization right. and is also collectively mm -hmm. owned. So. And Citizen Action is is piloting this model, too, yep. right, with your cooperative community organizing. Yep. Yep. That I mean, that is where real power comes from. So you take the organizations on the ground that are piloting this model and you build it into an independent political party that is grounded in this model. And all of a sudden, the complaints we have about the, the system not representing us and Democrats not having our backs, you know, we're not having those same complaints because we're owning our own institutions. Um, Jen referenced the the deputy or mm -hmm. the deputy or political director, um, director. is, is going to be Ian Biddle. That's so right. um, talk a little bit yeah. more about Ian. Obviously, uh, we're all very familiar mm -hmm. with Ian. Uh, in Milwaukee, well, we are. Milwaukee. Some yeah. of the people yes. around the state Correct. Yes. know Ian. Me too, because we served on the county board together. Right. And in fact, we worked uh, really closely on domestic partnership benefits. So I know Ian as a personal friend, but obviously as a, a colleague as well. Um, he's done a lot of great work with SEIU, so he's back in Milwaukee to be our deputy director, and um, we're he's beginning on Monday, so we're we're ready to roll, and and I do think we're going to be a powerful team and voice. So, will you let Ian know we're going to have him on at some point? We're going to when he gets his feet sure. on the ground and gets a little bit uh, shared vision, we'd love to have him on and okay. talk a little bit more. Uh, we'll we'll also go deeper than with Ian on some maybe some candidates and things going forward. Right. Um, let folks know, we mentioned that you can get involved. What should they do if they want to uh, get involved and become a founding member of the uh, Wisconsin Working Families? So we ask you to uh, join our people-powered group. It's at workingfamilies.org. You'll notice the Working Families uh, Party logo has the cheese head on it. That's because of us because we're the newest member of the family. <laughs> and to become a founding member, we ask for the price of a beer or a coffee a month, $5 only a month to be uh, a reoccurring sustaining founding member. And we'll even throw in a new fancy shiny pin so you can display your pride and help us uh, join something new here, an independent political organization. So you're saying it's a party working families can afford. That's there you go. Right, there you yeah. Go. We don't want to create any any boundaries or obstacles there. Well, Marina, thanks a lot for joining us and telling us more. And we'll be talking more about, about this with you and with Ian down the road. Thank you for having us. Okay, great. Thanks. So we're going to slightly switch gears here and uh, switch to the topic of uh, government accountability, uh, and in particular, the Wisconsin Economic Development Corporation, WEDEC, Walker's uh, job, Jobs Agency. We've talked extensively about it here on the podcast, and today we have a special guest, uh, that is Senator Dave Hansen, to talk about a new bill that he introduced that uh, will address WEDEC's outsourcing. Senator Hansen, thanks for joining us today. Glad to be with you. So why don't you let our listeners know about the bill that you introduced and also has uh, some assembly members that have also co-introduced a companion bill. We have Senate Bill 211 and just introduced was AB 304. And we think it's just common sense and no-brainer and not anti-business at all. And it just comes down to we should not be paying for jobs that are created in Mexico or India or anywhere else in the United States. So. It is totally wrong for what they were doing, three companies that were noted, and uh, we just think this bill should have a day in court, and we should get Republicans on it, even though we have none yet. 
Setter, this is uh, Robert Craig. Thank you for leading on this. I know that this was a controversy during the 2014 election, and the Walker administration claimed they'd fixed the uh, WEDEC loopholes uh, for outsourcing. Uh, we at Citizen Action have been pointing out since the fall that they had not, and then, of course, more outsourcing scandals developed. So your bill is very simple. It says if you are getting public economic development or job creation money and you outsource jobs, then you are ineligible for five years. That is correct, and uh, we would create a council with the similar makeup as the Unemployment Advisory Council, which should have an equal balance between business and labor, and they'd be given rulemaking authority to define what constitutes outsourcing and how law would apply in specific cases. So it's real simple. And I did an interview in local TV in Green Bay recently, and there was a Republican legislator got on and said it was anti-business. And I'm saying to myself, well, should we be financing job creation in India and Mexico and wherever else? And I'm just saying it's absolutely wrong. It's the wrong approach. You know, Senator Hansen, this is Jen. And it's always exciting to hear when you're releasing legislation because you know it's going to be really that good old-fashioned Wisconsin values. It's really going to be about the families and communities of our state and what we can do to make sure that they have access to opportunities. So I just want to thank you for that leadership. I guess we have to ask what, you know, Wisconsin Manufacturing and, uh, and Commerce is thinking. And I, you know, what do you say when, when they say this is going to kill business innovation? They're not going to be inspired to create jobs. Uh, you know, they're not going to see the state as a partner. Do you think it's going to affect our business climate? I don't believe so. And, uh, you know, we found out with Eaton and Plexus, they received millions of dollars in financial awards from Wedic, And I've always considered Wedic probably from day one, that would be an epic failure because the private-public partnership didn't work in other states. But they take the money, and then they take the jobs, and they move those jobs to Mexico. How is that good for the state of Wisconsin in creating jobs? Or in the case of Kohl's, where they got $62.5 million and sent jobs to India. I mean, it's a benefit provided to a company that should be used in our own state to create jobs, not in other countries. Yeah, let's, let's be clear here on why your bill is so important. They are getting this money for one reason, and that is to create jobs in Wisconsin, to create opportunity, as Jen said, in our communities, right? We are trying to pull out of what has been a, you know, a, a horrendous recession, right? And Wisconsin has lagged, and that is the one reason they really got this money, not to enrich the CEOs or other, other, other folks in the, uh, in, in the corporation. So the notion, and, and you referenced that um, news story, I think it was... Representative Steffens, uh, who who suggested somehow that you know he would support continuing outsourcing and that it was necessary, which is outrageous, given that this is our tax dollars. It's not like this is some sort of um, uh, economic debate that's happening in the complete private market. They have come and asked for public money in the name of job creation. Uh, it, it to me, it's outrageous, and I I. I, I Really hope that that representative is 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 called out by his his local constituents about that. It's it was a, kind of an outrageous response. Yeah, I was shocked by his comments, but you know I'm still shocked that there aren't Republicans willing to get on something that totally makes sense. They know the problems Weedick has had. It's created what only ten thousand jobs by 2015. It was supposed to be so much better than commerce, but they didn't track any of the money. The loans went unpaid, and uh, Dad. Uh, you know, worst to worst, you know, the outsourcing issue is just a big issue. So I was really surprised by his comments. You know, you would think there would be Republican legislators out saying, hey, you're right, let's do this right. And I, I understand that the, the head of the WEDIC, the board, the governor, has 
left that position, and I don't know if it's going to make any better, but there's just been so many problems. It's been an epic failure, as I said. Right, exactly, uh, Senator. And I think that uh, Representative Stephan's response kind of reveals what their position is. Their position is, is that what's good for business is good for workers. And that can be the case if you align interests, but it's not necessarily the case. So much of the money in Weedick has gone to people that contributed to Governor Walker's campaign. Right. So the case that we made back when they were trying to push this through, in the case in India, in, excuse me, Indiana, there was cronyism involved where you pay back the people that contribute to your campaign. It's absolutely wrong. It's not the way to create jobs. And then to have these companies send them overseas is just crazy. So the outsourcing, for example, what happens is if we pay a company million dollars or so to create a, to create 100 jobs and they outsource 200 jobs, we're not losers, but we've also paid them. So it's good for business, but it's not good for workers. And they, of course, don't have to take state money. They can still outsource. Of course, I think we should change the global trade regime as well, uh, but that's outside of your power, Senator. But they don't have to take, but if they're going to take public money for job creation, they can't turn around and then undercut what we're paying them to do. And I don't think outsourcing is some side issue like, oh, they just lacked administrative controls. Everything about WEDEC seems to be about, oh, we made a mistake. There were some administrative issues. No, this is a fundamental flaw. This entity thinks we should hand out money without accountability, and we should set up a system that, as you say, Dave, uh, Senator Hansen, actually rewards campaign contributors, a crony-based system, rather than taking our precious job creation money and investing it in creating more opportunity for the people of Wisconsin. It's about the hardworking men and women of this state shouldn't be contributing to companies that take the jobs and move them away. It's just absolutely wrong. Mm -hmm. Well, Senator, we want to thank you for taking the lead on this issue and uh, really organizing the Democrats on this. And I, obviously, there's probably going to be much more to come. And, you know, even if this doesn't get one Republican to sign on, it's exposing a major important fundamental difference in how folks are approaching uh, expanding economic opportunities. We hope you uh, don't don't sh don't stop. We need more of this stuff. It's it's good and important. Now we just hope there are Republicans out there that have some common sense and uh, do this no brainer and get on my bill. So well, we appreciate it and um, look forward to talking uh, more with you down the road, Senator. Thank you much for joining us. Glad to be with you. Thank you. Okay, great. So we're going to briefly talk about a third topic this week, and um, we're actually going to talk more extensively next week. But we want to talk a bit about the Black Lives Matter uh, movement and its interaction with both uh, presidential candidate Sanders, but more broadly, uh, its implications for a conversation with Democrats and progressives and the progressive movement. So uh, just to summarize, right, I don't I think most of our listeners are well aware of what happened, where we had two two um, leaders from the Black Lives Matter movement in Seattle uh, confront. I, there were, I'm sure, more, but two very prominently featured who took over uh, the Bernie Sanders event and made you know a number of comments. I think everyone's probably read and listened. Um, but there's this has sparked a tremendous amount of dialogue and debate and discussion. And we want to take that on in detail next week, but we want to at least uh, surface it. Jen and Robert, I you know, would be very curious to get your, your comments, but what I'm struck by is how this is really forcing progressives and Democrats to really grapple with the failure of, of our, our capacity to have addressed these issues and mm -hmm. take them on and not try to duck them, delay them, wait, and, and really own up to the fact that we have not lived up to the, to, to the civil rights legacy 
um, but really trying to grapple that without. So with that, um, Jen, Robert, I'm obviously curious to get your comments. Well, I do want to set a little context. I mean, so folks understand that the event in Seattle was not a Bernie Sanders event. It was a, a issue-based event, I believe, on Medicare, uh, Medicare and Medicaid. And, I think and, Medicaid. Right. and our um, equivalent in uh, Washington State, Washington uh, Citizen Action Network, our uh, Community Action Network was mm -hmm. part of it, actually. Yeah. So, but it was also on the anniversary of Mike Brown's death and really the anniversary of the um, resistance that's been built in this country over the last year um, through the Black Lives Matter network. And so there was a real tension, right? And I think that, um, you know, it's been reported in so many different ways. It's hard for people to understand what, what kind of occurred there. And uh, WJN's communications director, Lisa Lucas, just happened to be in Seattle and walking past wow. and okay. saw the crowd and, and kind of, you know, worked her way in the middle and got a little bit of video of it. Um, but, you know, what she says is that there was a coordination, that there were um, about 25 to 30 folks in the front of the crowd, mixed race, white, black, and, and other, um, lots of, you know, our Asian American brothers and sisters um, who were sort of holding space in front of the stage to help these um, ladies get up. So this idea that it was just, right. you know, a, ra a random group of people isn't, isn't true. And that pretty much from the second um, the one of the young ladies started to speak, the crowd started booing. Um, her and we have to remember that this is a continuation of what happened at Netroots when there was also a large backlash from white progressives against Black Lives Matter um, activists. So I think you know those are all part of the context of you know folks have to remember that Black activists have been working with the progressive movement in partnership since before the Civil Rights Movement, and that you know when people make comments like, "Well, you've just lost my support." when you know black folks have been supporting progressive issues since their inception mm -hmm. i think you know shows the tenuous relationship of that support um and how fragile that support is right because for decades black folks have felt as though their issues have not been front and center in the progressive movement and have been told to wait and they have and they've waited patiently for the benefits that we have won from progressivism to trickle down and I think we're in a moment where black folks are asking to show up differently. They're asking to show up as full partners and they're asking for their allies, for folks that they have gone to bat for, whether that's women's rights, LGBT rights, climate change, or a whole number of other host of other issues that they have gone to bat for to say that this is a moment where we're going to stop the genocide of black folks across this country. I think we have to understand that black folks are not asking Bernie Sanders right, to come and vote for them, to, to change institutions for them. Bernie Sanders is basing part of his ability to win on getting some of that 95% of black voters who vote for Democrats. Mm -hmm. And if Democrats want to win the right White House, I think black folks are saying, we're not going to say, trust me, and I'll do it later. That we're going to need to know specifically what you're going to do to end white supremacy and to bring real liberation to black people across this country or we may withhold our votes, or we may disrupt your rallies, or we may um, you know, block your freeways. We will engage in civil disobedience in order to, to win the same freedoms that many folks in the progressive movement enjoy every day. Jen just did a tremendous job setting the context. So let me just leave this for some thoughts, because I know it'll be a longer conversation tomorrow. I thought uh, Marissa Johnson, one of the women uh, that took the stage, said something uh, very profound in interview afterwards in, uh, in, in Weak and Blackness, 
she said in explaining why they did what they did, going after Sanders is super, super important because Sanders is supposed to be as far left and as progressive as you, we can possibly get, right? In Seattle, we have hordes and hordes of white liberals and white progressives, and yet we still have the same racial problems. Mm -hmm. So for us, locally in our context, confronting Sanders was the equivalent of confronting the large white liberal democratic leftist contingent that we have here in Seattle. And let me, uh, and so it's very interesting. Seattle is a very progressive, white progressive city. Mm -hmm. She is saying that things are not any better for people of color there. So that's very profound. What difference? You see white liberals get very offended. What do you mean? We're with you. Well, to what extent are you if things aren't different? And in the Wisconsin context, we know the Wisconsin Council of Children and Families has done tremendous research to show that Madison, the biggest bastion of white liberalism in the state, also has the worst racial disparities and the mm -hmm. worst conditions uh, for African-American children, the worst educational disparities down the line. So to what extent do the, does the sympathy of white liberals, which I think is much greater than white conservatives, let's be clear, translate into real tangible actions? Yeah. That's the question. They actually change the context in which most African-American, particularly African-American children, live. Here, here. So this is going to be a really interesting conversation next week. Yep. Um, and I think, you know, we're going to be lucky to have some of the leaders of Wisconsin's Black Lives Matter uh, movement come in for that conversation. And that network of folks, and I think folks also should understand that Black Lives Matter is not an incorporated organization. It doesn't have a board of directors who can determine when it is and isn't engaging in the right tactics. It is a leaderful movement, and the purpose of that is so that people can react to the context on the ground in their communities and what folks are dealing with. So in, when we say Black Lives Matter is you know, not a movement aimed at gaining the sympathies of white folks, right, and that it's not your movement, that doesn't mean that we don't want folks to, to be supportive of it, to be able to say, yes, black lives do matter. Of course we want that. But I think what folks need to understand is that the tactics that people are engaging in are their tactics. They're, it's their theory of change for their own liberation. And unless you are needing that freedom, then you're not the one to decide who the tactic is. So that's why I don't want to decide for um, you know, a black farmer in Selma, right, what they should be doing to challenge white supremacy in Georgia. I don't know. I have never lived in Georgia, and I don't know what it looks like there. I know what it looks like here in Wisconsin. So people should understand that when they see these different tactics. Um, and so Black Lives Matter is going to come go across the state. If you would like a panel of Black Lives Matter leaders to come to your community to have a discussion with folks in your community, the good, the bad, and the ugly, they're prepared and ready for all of it. Um, then you can contact uh, us over at Wisconsin Jobs Now and we'll help put you in touch with the booking for that. I know that the first place that we're going to go is a church in Hartford who um, Excellent. put up uh, a, a Black Lives Matter sign that was vandalized. And so we are going to start, um, hopefully in the next two weeks, have a dialogue at that church for every member of the community to come and hear what this movement is really about. Because you've seen it on Facebook and you may have seen it on Fox News, but you certainly haven't actually had the opportunity to connect to the folks doing the work on the ground and ask them why this movement is so central to their lives. And it's the Lake Country Unitarian Universalist Church in Heartland. Heartland. Yeah. Yes, sorry. That's okay. Hartford is, a, is in Connecticut. I know. Well, there is a Hartford, Wisconsin, too, and they, the Heartland people hate to be called Hartford, oh, I'm yeah. sure. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, yes, yes, yes. So, so yes, we're going to have a, a, a much deeper and longer conversation. Um, and 
just speaking more broadly, as as um, progressives sit and watch the Republican side and and mm-hmm. watch Donald Trump essentially live out the angry white voter that they've been cultivating and yeah. using wi- dog whistle and races no, not for dog years. Whistle. There's and, no oh, code well, involved. Right? No, but Trump <laughs> Trump blows it out. But yeah. he's he's. <laughs> He is sort of the worst of their things come home to roost, right? He's and, up in the ante. And so it's easy for us to, to make fun of that and poke fun at them. But I think next week what we'll try to do is actually do some more internal looking at ourselves and, and really grappling with our our hypocrisies and incongruities and, and coming coming to grasp with those. So we look forward to that conversation next week. Yeah. Let's just remember about Trump. He knows where the power is in the primary. Okay. There's a reason why he's number one in Iowa right now. And it's because he understands how primaries work. And primaries are about your deepest core base voters who are coming out to vote when nobody advertised that there was an election. Right. And that's who he's speaking to. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, it, it's sort of analogous to why we have, why we're talking about building a working families party here, because in primaries, the, the people who do all the doors and the people who do all the work and who never get listened to when it comes to a big statewide election, those are the ones who hold the real power. So let's not dismiss the tactic because the tactic is actually incredibly strategic, d- despite how very racist it is. Now, <laughs> re- remember, a metaphor compares unlike things to, 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 to help explain something. So Jen was complain- explaining thing, unlike things, in my opinion, <laughs> in that Trump's base believes in making horrible, insulting remarks yes. about women, about about uh, Mexican-Americans. Mm-hmm. It's uh, down the line. everybody who's not that. Our base believes in economic equality. Right. So the Working Families Party is not going to be speaking the way Donald Trump <laughs> does. But by comparison, each one is calling out its base. I've <laughs> often listened to Marina, and I think of Donald Trump all the time. So um, on that note, uh, Marina Trump, Dmitrievich, uh, Robert, what are you doing this weekend? Are you, is there anything going on? Well, I just got back from vacation last week, oh, so I have not so, so. planned anything in particular. Okay. As of yet, though, um, I do have to give birthday presents to my uh, nephew. Delano is a star citizen action volunteer. His birthday was also the first day of school for Aww. him on, uh, on this Monday That's at right. Rufus King. Some of the kids are back to school <laughs> you know, in Milwaukee. As Jen remembers, they start earlier. <laughs> What's going on, Jen, with you this weekend? Well, first of all, I just like that you're you're repping this high school hard. Matt's got on his Rufus King General's t-shirt. Woo-hoo! So that's First exciting. week of school. There we go. Um, you've got a freshman now. At I King. do. Yes. I do. Gabe is, uh, he has rated his first, uh, three days, eight, nine and nine out of 10. All so right. we're off to a great and start. A great start. Had the embarrassing incident of having his father take pictures <laughs> oh, of yeah. him waiting at, for the at school the bus, bus stop. on the first day and <laughs> yes. then post them on Facebook. Yes. He described me as a predator. He said you, you had all the appearances of a predator, but apparently people like that. It, that picture got like 90 likes. So us adults like predators yes. apparently on the first day of school. We just like proud papas. That's the way to do it. And if you can embarrass so your proud. kid I, like in the process, it's even better. Everybody around here knows it's been a two-year uh, struggle to to get into King. It's been a goal for him. So it, it's been extraordinarily exciting to see it actually uh, start this week. Yay. So. Okay, anyway, this weekend. Um, so Wisconsin Jobs Now is actually, I will be working because it's Super Saturday for us. We are kicking off our political program. Wait, wait, the Super Bowl's a set? Yeah, that's oh, right. It Super is a Saturday. Su- it is sorry. A Super Bowl okay, for us. sorry. Yeah. Right. So we are kicking off our political program. Our members set a goal back in January that they'd be the first ones in the field on the presidential election. Um, and so they 
I think are going to meet that goal on Saturday and they're going to start their canvas program, which will run every week uh, between now and the election uh, on the doors and in work sites. And so we invite folks to come join us. Uh, they're canvassing on three issues, universal education, child care through college, living wages uh, and fair working conditions for every worker and the end to mass, inc uh, mass incarceration and criminalization of our communities. So if you support those issues and you want to make sure we elect candidates that support those issues, then you should come on out on Saturday, 10 a.m. at 10 Wisconsin Jobs Now. 10 a.m. and that is on about 19th and Fond du Lac. Yes. Get out. Um, I'll actually be doing some other work uh, yeah. connected to the Working Families Party. Um, uh, uh, current Senator Tim Carpenter is running for alderman here in Milwaukee, and I'll be out knocking doors Saturday morning for for Tim, and I encourage others to get out. You can show up at Tim's house <laughs> anytime this weekend, but in particular at 9 a.m. or noon on Saturday and also noon on Sunday. So mm -hmm. get out and help Tim. This is an opportunity to really make a difference in in an aldermanic race where there had previously been uh, m much more of a conservative alderman and and. Mm -hmm. and Tim has a very strong, certainly pro-labor and working families yeah. record and would, would certainly increase op economic opportunity, we hope, here in Wisconsin. So get out and do that. I'll also be, uh, we have a doubleheader racing at Ostalon on Saturday night and Sunday. So after, after I go straight from doors to uh, over to Ostalon. So if you've never seen some flat track racing, uh, if you live in Madison, it's 30 minutes away and it, uh, there's beer and food and lots of fun. You can watch kids as young as four and grown men as old as 78 <laughs> racing in uh, District 16. So get on out. And with that, I want to thank our guests, uh, both uh, Senator Dave Hansen and new director of the Wisconsin Working Families, Marina Dmitrievich. And we will see everybody next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin. <laughs>